Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Welcome back, back <laughs> Money Mondays. You know, sorry, we had a little bit too much turkey. We're still uh, getting ourselves figured out for the day. It's all good. But welcome back, folks, with your host, Ben Suttles, Ferris Musa, and a very special guest. What is your name? Lillian Suttles. Oh, Lillian, back to co-host the Money Mondays. What are we talking about today? Stuff. 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 That's All what right. I tell everybody. Characteristics of... Profitable. Profitable. All right, so characteristics of a profitable multifamily investment. So we're gonna get right into this. You're gonna help us out along the way, aren't you? You're not gonna help us out? No. I thought you wanted to be on the show. Yeah, Ben doesn't know anything about profit, so mm. we need some help on that one. Funny, funny, funny guy here. All right, so we've got some questions that came in before the show. We're just gonna get right into it, folks. So what factors impact the profitability of a multifamily investment? The numbers. Oof. There's a lot in that question. You know, I would say obviously where you're where you're buying. Where your cap rate. Your cap rate is the first thing that tells you what can I make on this deal as is if I do nothing. Right. Yeah. Maybe the very first step. Uh, right. But I mean I'd also say cap then, rate can be deceiving depending on what market well, you're in, right? Well yeah, well more so depending on actually what your leverage looks like. Because you can have a good cap rate, and if you have worse debt, well, actually, you're still underwater, right? Yeah, true. So, yeah, true, yeah, true. I'd say those two things are probably the first and foremost. Those need to be aligned, right? So as interest rates go up, cap rates need to go up because that mm-hmm. spread is something you got to figure out a way to close the gap, which probably leads to a good second factor, right, which is what? What the submarket is, right? So, you know. Well, I was going to say rent growth, right? Like, which yeah, is like I mean, like, obviously, you know, okay, to, yeah. Things you can do to start to close that so gap. So let's, let, let's, let's recap, right? Like, I mean, cap rate, and we've talked about this on, the, on past shows, right? You know, is if you did nothing and operated it the exact same way, how much would you, what would you make each year if you paid all cash, right? So typically, people would say, well, if I buy a higher cap, then that's a good thing. But depending on your debt, that could be a, you know, a misleading metric. The other thing to kind of take into consideration too is the submarket that you're buying into, right? It's because some people, all they care about are cap rates, right? But if you're buying a 10 cap in Podunk nowhere, guess what? You might have very good cash flow, or maybe, maybe not, it just depends on your expenses and the debt that you can get, but you're ultimately probably gonna sell it as a 10 cap as well, right? We typically like to blend cash flow with high appreciating markets. That's why we invest in the Sunbelt. That's why we invest in primary markets, right? Because you're gonna get a good mix of both of those, right? So you're looking at cap rate, you're looking at the debt that you can get on it, you're looking at the sub-market that you can buy in, right? And then like Ferris said, right, you've got rent growth. Now, any one of those is not better or worse yeah. than the other one. They're all important metrics that you have to take a look at. Yeah, and as an operator, right, we're looking at all those evaluating and ultimately trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to drive that NOI to actually make a non-profitable deal profitable or make it more profitable, yeah. right? So if I can go in day one, upgrade all the units, push rents $200, great. Now I've pushed rents, I can generate new revenue, therefore making it profitable. If I can install carports, same thing, right? If I can just boost the occupancy, all these things are things that are basically about pushing the NOI to drive that profit up 
and you know, hopefully to make it a profitable deal, right? You're forcing appreciation, right? And the only way that you're gonna get appreciation on commercial real estate deals to make it more profitable or that your cap rate compresses, right? What's happened over the last five years up until about six months ago is that profits were going up you know, maybe not, you know, crazy, but they're still going up, but cap rates were compressing like crazy. And so everybody was making money, right? So if you have those in your environment, then you're going to be all right, right? So those are some of the factors that you're going to need to look into in terms of a profitable multifamily investment, right? So how has your investment strategy changed from the rise in interest rates? And we've talked about this a little bit, right? You know, obviously deal flow has considerably slowed down. And I, and I think that that's probably going to be, you know, a, a factor that we're probably going to see for the next six to 12 months. I think anybody that can hold on and not sell for six to 12 months and get a little bit better of a price after everything kind of settles down are probably just going to hold on to their deals, right? So the only people that are selling right now are people that are coming up on a loan term, have to wind down their fund and they have to sell. Think BlackRock. Well, who, who doesn't want to buy a deal from those guys, right? You know, if they're just giving it away, they don't care if they make money. Um, and, or they're distressed, right? Their partnership's fractured, the deal is just imploding. There's something bad that's leading them to force of a sale, right? You know, and so our investment strategy has been very much be a little bit more patient and be a little bit more conservative with that underwriting, especially when it comes to interest rates, especially when it comes to rent growth. The times that were six to, you know, call it eight months ago, when you're underwriting to, you know, these big gigantic, you know, rent pops when you're putting a bunch of money in and then, you know, three to 5% in rent growth, you still might get that in certain markets, but it's probably better at least for the next 12 months, unless you're putting a considerable amount of money into the deal to probably be a little bit more conservative with that rent growth, right? So I think that's another investment strategy that we've seen. And then just being smart about how we structure the capital stack, right? Whether it be, you know, you know, agency debt, you know, with a preferred piece or not, you know, and, and really just structuring that properly so you can obviously get the best returns that you can and ultimately mitigate the risk for your investors as well. Right, you know, so I would say that's kind of how things have changed. Yeah, you you know, and then just just really, I think right now the biggest thing is about structuring. What are you doing to effectively structure your reserves, structure your cap, right, your interest rate exposure, all the other pieces. So, I mean, on deals we're doing now, folks going lower leverage, right, which reduces our debt burden. Yep. Right, and we're spending the extra money to buy the caps, which again reduces our upside risk. And last but not least, I had a third one there, but reserves? I forgot it. So we're talking about reserves, reserves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So boosting significant reserves and yeah. making sure that, hey, we can ride out the storm. And so. you know what that all equals, folks, is mitigating risk, right? And you try to mitigate risk, especially in times of uncertainty. Right now, it's not necessarily that the economy's bad, right? But we don't know what the next six to 12 months are going to be, right? Especially in 2023. Are we going to have a recession? Are we already in a recession? If we are in a recession or we're going to be in one, how bad is it going to be? How long is it going to last? Right? Our rent's going to go down. Our value is going to go down. We've already seen values go down 5 to 15% in certain markets and with certain assets. Over where the peak was, which was back in you know, Q1. Right? So you have to realize that you know, that's, that's some significant value drops. And it's better to kind of err on the side of caution right now. Get yourself educated. Get some dry powder. Do your networking. Find your next partner. Find your next deal. And then pull the trigger, right? You know, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to be a little bit patient when things are uncertain. But, you know, we're still in the market. We're still making offers. They just have to make sense. 
right, based on these reserves and how we're structuring the deals, right? All right, so what is a criteria, what is the criteria a property must hit in order to consider it a viable investment? Occupancy year bill. Hundred so, million dollars. Oof! Wow, we're already back up to hundred. Hundred. All right. So this is our buy box, right? We've talked about this on a lot of shows, and, and it's changed. It really has. You know, now we're trying to do newer stuff, better parts of uh, of of these sub markets that we're already in, the primary markets. Where do we live? Somewhere. We live somewhere. Yeah. Do we live in Houston? Over the rainbow or under the rainbow? And Houston, all right, all right, caught you off guard. Do we live in Texas? Yes. Do we like Houston, Texas? All right, we do, we do. All right, so we love investing in primary markets like Houston and Austin and DFW and then ultimately Atlanta and parts of Florida, right? So that, that really hasn't changed much. But even within these markets, folks, they can be dramatically different, right? You know, I mean, and I don't like to pick on anything about the east side or the south side of Houston, but... Historically, not as good as the north or the west side. And so we're trying to kind of stick in that quadrant uh, within Houston itself. And there's certain pockets within all these other primary markets that we like to be in as well. So we're getting a little bit more dialed in in the submarket that we want to be in. You know, the year built is very, very important for us, right? You know, we'll do a 90s deal. We're doing a 90s deal right now, but we'd love to stick to 2000s and newer. And I think that that trend is going to continue, right? Unless we just can steal it from somebody and get another value add deal that's in the, built in the 80s. You know, um, occupancy, you know, typically like to see that stabilized deal, right? Especially with us kind of going more agency, more long-term debt. We're back into that cycle. You know, we're looking for 90s and uh, for at least the last 90 days, right? Which is what the agencies are looking for, which is 90% occupancy for the last three months, right? And that's, they call it 90 for 90. And so that's kind of the occupancy, right? You know, but we all, we're ultimately value-add guys. We love buying deals that we can put good money in, create a community, enhance the value, enhance the rents. You know, therefore, obviously, it's going to appreciate. That's still our bread and butter, and we're going to continue to look for those deals. But you can get those deals even if they were built in the 2000s, right? Absolutely. You know, we're going through ones called Heights on Katy right here in Houston. It was built in 2004. Yeah, we're still putting two million yeah, bucks into that. It's about finding the opportunity, right? Every deal has a different story. It's not all cookie cutter. A lot of things are similar, right? But again, every deal has a story. It's about understanding that story and figure out what you can execute. Yeah. So that said, Money Mondays is every Monday, 3.30 Central. If you have comments, questions, thoughts, please ask them. We will answer them here live. Yep. $1 per question. $1, dollar, dollar. Yeah, no, and ultimately, if you guys have suggestions on shows, questions that aren't even related to the topic of the show, as long as it's not too crazy and harebrained, we will go ahead and answer those too. So drop those in the comments if you would. But let's keep moving along here. So how do you know if and when you're making the right investment? I think that that's... You're gonna know when, when you buy, really, right? You're, yeah, you you're buying at the right. Are you buying in the right submarket? Are you buying at the right cap rate, right? And I'll say you, you know. don't usually know whenever you first close, right? It's really six months to a year after that you really know. Hey, this deal is humming along just like we expected. But there's ultimately ways to determine that, you know, at least somewhat. Yeah, yeah you got to go and right? have a business yes. plan. Make sure it makes sense. And you got underwriting that modeling, you're going through. Right? Modeling yeah. makes sense, but I mean, you know, still reality. Sometimes there's deals you close on and. You're like, man, this thing is a home run. It's completely crushing our numbers, and so. No, there is, and, and you, but you know, the way to mitigate that, folks, is getting familiar with the numbers, getting you know, getting you know, familiar with a spreadsheet model that works for you, right? And understanding because your your chances of success are tremendously increased if the numbers, and as long as it's being conservatively underwritten. Are there right? Your chances of 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 not being successful if things are really really tight. 
because we know from being operators that we are, things are gonna go wrong, right? And the more meat that you have on that bone, the more likely that you'll be successful, right? But there's all, there's been deals. I mean, I still remember, <laughs> still remember Central Park. I'll just go out and name what it is. You know, that was one of the most challenging closings that we've ever had. Remember that deal? Oh my gosh. I thought we were going to lose our earnest money. Freddie totally ghosted us. The whole we're entire thing. We're trying to figure out how can I, who, who had six million liquid to loan oh, us. Oh yeah, we were so. going we to go with a hard money lender out of California to buy the dang thing cash. We were so desperate, right? And we almost went that route. I was actually, I remember yeah. one of my friends, Greg, had uh, exited his deal and I'm like, he has the liquidity. Yeah, I know. So I mean, like, we, investors, were, we were yeah. looking at anything and everything. So we were like, okay, is this in indicative of how the deal was going to go. And guess what, folks? We ended up making 140% in less than, I think, two and a half years, maybe two years on that deal. So IRR was through the roof. It was like 50 or 60%. I mean, it was stupid. But so you can't really, like Ferris says, you can't really tell just right from the beginning, right? You got to get a little bit of time. But also don't, don't think that, hey, if you're having challenges getting it across the finish line, that that might not still be a successful deal. You just never know, right? But better chance of success by underwriting conservatively and having enough meat on that bone because things will go off track sometimes. And you always want a little bit of wiggle room. All right, moving along. When evaluating an investment opportunity, what do you look for when it comes to the condition of the property? Anything you advise investors to look out for? All right, so would you like to live in a nice house or a crummy house? A nice house, right? Well, we like to buy somewhat good-looking property. <laughs> or so the properties we can make yes, look good. Yes, or, or that's right. actually a great point. Very good point, right? That we can make to look nice. And I think that any amount of money, right? And obviously, gotta be, it's got to make sense within your business model. You know, you can make even some of these 60s and yeah. 70s deals look very nice, right? And not everything you're going to be able to go target the, the young millennial, right? No. But you can create nice, clean, affordable housing. Yeah, you know, so, you know, what are we looking for, right? You know, I, I try to get away from challenging things that, you know, from a maintenance standpoint are going to make it tough, right? Not to say that we wouldn't do a flat roof deal, but I try to avoid them. Not to say that we wouldn't do a deal with chiller and boilers. We've done them. But I try to avoid all that stuff when I can, right? Because from a maintenance perspective, it's a lot more challenging, right? So those are some of the things that are real big hot button issues. Obviously, stuff that's clearly having plumbing problems or clearly having foundational problems are going to be things that we're going to air that we're going to probably not do things that have a lot of down units you, you got to be careful of right because people kind of get in like oh that's meat on the bone and we've done those deals we've made those assumptions right but that meat on the bone is going to cost you a lot of money to actually bring back online right because that deal that or that down unit that you thought you could probably get for 20 grand right now is probably going to cost you 40 right so just be careful getting into situations where you have too much either deferred maintenance or too much capex that you just ultimately can't handle right and you can see that right from the property tour right so those should be some of the things that you're looking out for and again not to say you can't make money on a chiller deal or a flat roof deal or a boiler deal or maybe you have a property that's had all three and i have still very very successful deal almost 100 percent return in 18 months so um but just be on the lookout for those types of things I agree. all right last but not least Tips for identifying strong value-add multifamily investments. I think this is all kind of along the same vein, right? You know, you're looking for good sub-markets. You're looking yeah, for your, I mean, what's you know, in your buy box, you know. There's the obvious, but I'd say one thing we've learned over the years is really knowing who the buyer is. Uh, seller. That's actually true. Right, that it really That's is indicative true. of what you can do with the deal, you know, what condition the deal may truly be in. 
right? And ultimately understanding what that seller's plan was and what their exit is and why they're exiting, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with sellers leaving meat on the bone, right? Again, you capitalize these deals up front, you hold on to them, you get to the point where you need to make an exit. It yeah. does not mean it's a bad deal, that does not mean the next guy can't make money on it, yes. right? But you need to understand that versus the guy that bought the deal and flipping out of it six months later because it's got such dire problems that they don't even know what to do with it, right? Yeah. Two different problems. So really understanding the seller, their motivations, right? I think that's a huge thing that people maybe getting into business don't think about, right? I used to think, and I mean, you know, me, me, me personally, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I used to think it's all about the numbers, and it is, but there's some other soft pieces to it that help you validate. And I would say it's not even about it's not even about their motivations too. I would just say it's just about what type of people they are. You know, I mean, I'm not going to name the name of the shop, but we bought a deal here in Texas, and you know, if we had just done some some additional research on the seller, we would have realized that these guys were a step above a slumlord, right? And we were buying a property that needed a lot of love. Well, guess what? It needed a lot more love than we were expecting it did. And so, if we, you know, if we were a little bit, you know, I think. And this is, you, you, you make these mistakes when you're starting off, right? You don't do as much due diligence on the seller, right? You know, but you, like, it's like, you know, people here in, in Houston know Camden, and actually Camden's a nationwide company, but Camden property is going to be probably pretty well maintained, yeah. you know, because those guys got a ton of money. They got a lot more money than you guys got, a lot more money than me. And they're going to take care of their properties. Now, they might not, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not meat on the bone, but that just means that they're not going to have all the deferred maintenance that we had when we took on that property. Right, so I agree, knowing the seller, that's gonna be, you know, but again, it's not a, yes, I should buy it, or no, I shouldn't buy it, just depending on who that is. It's just one data point of many data points that you should be checking the box on, right? So, those are some of the characteristics of a profitable multifamily investment. I know that there's a lot more. Love this to be more of an interactive show, so please dump those comments in there. We'll talk about them. Love to, for people just to kind of, you know, give, give their advice as to what they think some of the characteristics are. But, any questions? Any comments? You know, oh my gosh, it's quiet today. Time in, but there's one, you know, what strategies can you implement to increase your ROI? I think we've kind of gone through a lot of that, but maybe talk about the big stuff, right? Interior upgrades, mm-hmm. carports, operational efficiencies, cutting back expenses, you know, utility, like So kind are of we reduction. talking about like return on investment or NOI? Well, it's kind of both, right? So, so okay, so like, you know, I look at ROI when I'm doing interior unit upgrades, yeah. right? You know, and in that case, right, it's gonna be more so, um, you know, I mean, how much money do I have to put into it and what kind of rent growth can I get? Yeah, right? I'd say the question you of know. how do you improve your ROI, it's kind of maybe hard to answer because it's really about, the way you improve your ROI is by burning your numbers before you do something. That's yeah. how you improve your ROI. How you prove your NOI is all the things you can do to prove value. Right? Yeah, you're, you're forcing Keeping appreciation, occupancy right? occupancy higher, pushing rents, adding in other, you know, other revenue streams, right? Even things like, you know, implementing an insurance program that can generate revenue, implementing all these other things that people, amenity fees. Cable and Wi-Fi, yeah, I mean, right? cable Wi-Fi, all of these things can generate income. So yeah. all that will boost your NOI. And again, to the point then made, if I have to pay $10 million to get a cable Wi-Fi plan, it probably ROI is not so good. No. Right? But if I have to pay a dollar and now it's not get all this new money, well, ROI is significant. So it's really about huh. running your numbers and understanding how much you're putting in versus what you're getting. Yeah, and, and, and really you should be running your numbers on interior upgrades especially, right? You know, I mean, how much money do I have to put into this? And right now, depending on the submarket that we're in, we're in obviously the Sun Belt. It's 10 to 15K, folks, right now. And that's the going right now. People can say that's a little light or that's a little high doesn't really matter, right? That's what we're seeing, 
right? So, you know, in order to get a, at least a 20 to 25% return on investment, there has to be, you have to have some significant rent growth. I think, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's 150 to 250 is what you need to make. And so we're also targeting deals that have that much rent growth when we put that amount of money in. The other thing that you want to take into consideration too is there's certain things that you're going to have to do as part of CapEx that you're going to have a very low return on investment on, right, as far as rent growth goes. But you might get it on your expense side, right? You're going to say, okay, I got to replace the roofs. That stinks, right? I hate spending money on roofs, but sometimes if the roofs are leaking and it's causing you a bunch of problems and you're having to pay a bunch of money, you got to bite the bullet. Somebody at some point has to replace the roofs, right? But your tenants aren't going to care. They're not going to pay you an extra no. 50 or 100 bucks for rent just because the roofs are brand new. They're just going to say, yeah, I'm glad that they work, right? You know, but at the end of the day, so your return on investment from a rent perspective, not so great. From an expense perspective and an expense savings, not bad, right? So you have to weigh all of those things, but all of that should help you drive your NOI, and your NOI growth is really where you're gonna get the most bang for your buck in terms of forcing appreciation on these deals. So, boom, we got it. Thank you for the one question that we got. Yeah. Any you other know. questions, please ask them, watch them live, otherwise we shall keep going. Oh my gosh, the early bird. What we are we talking about? a lot of tickets so far, folks. Ooh. Our big conference is here in Houston, in our backyard, coming up February 11th. So, Multifamily Investor Network. It's a figure of speech. Our backyard means it's in the city that we live in. It's in Houston. And so if you guys are interested, check it out, www.mfinvestornetwork.com. It's the best place to go and network and learn something about multifamily, right? Meet yeah. somebody new, meet a partner, a friend, an investor, all the above. So definitely check it out. Do you right, use so this cap code EARLYBIRD? I was going to have her. I was gonna have her. Okay, so, so what does it say right there in the middle? EARLYBIRDSALE. Yep. So then what does it say below that? For a limited time. $150 off. Use coupon code EARLYBIRD at checkout. Boom. Perfect. All right. All right. That All right. And I got about 275 emails for you to read for me as well. It'd be great. <laughs> um, all right. So when is it valid till? Valid until December 6, 2022. All right. Your site is way better than daddy's. All right. So yeah, I know. check that out at www.mfinvestornetwork.com. Put in that coupon code EARLYBIRD. Get your 150 bucks off. A lot of networking. A lot of cool things happening. Yes, sir. All right. All right. So. This we're not done yet. No. Come on, we've got another event to announce. What are we doing Thursday, Ben? Oh my gosh, the Houston Real Estate. Hey. You want to speak? You want to do it? Houston All right. Houston Real, Real Estate Investing. Investing Holiday Networking Mixer. It's a little December bit of a mouthful. 1st, 2022, 7 p.m. Central. Wake Field Crowbar. All right. So this Thursday, folks, 7 p.m. We're having our Monthly meetup that we do first Thursday of every month. What would you like to say? My birthday's on Friday. It is on Friday, so I will definitely be there for that. Don't worry. This is the night before that. Because yeah. it is going to be your birthday on December 2nd, isn't it? How old are you going to be? Nine. You're going to be nine already? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I still remember the second you were born. All right. But I digress. So you got to register, folks. 
or check it out, just drop on in www.disruptequity.com slash HTX meetup. Really, really excited about this. It's going to be our ugly sweater, holiday mixer, networking. You're not going to hear us up there blathering. We're just going to get to know each other. Maybe find your next partner. Maybe find your next deal. Maybe find your next investor. Who knows? But if not, you're still going to have a good time because it's an awesome venue and we're really, really happy to be out there. So December 1st, this Thursday at 7 p.m. What's coming up next week, my friend? Talking about our next Money Mondays. How investors slash syndicators profit from real estate syndications. Oh my gosh. Man, we got a lot of profit. We did get talking. two questions. So let's answer these before we wrap up. Okay. So we got? same person. Got? First one is prefer private funding or bank money. Bank money. Oh, we're talking about, what are we talking about? Private Equity funding versus is debt? kind of weird. Yeah, no, I think I kind of interpret it as debt funds versus a bank. Right, debt funds are usually more expensive. They're usually gonna be more, sharky. more onerous. A little, yeah. Sometimes more sharky. Yeah. Whereas a bank usually it's pretty clear cut what their box is. Yeah. And you know, if you hit their box, they can usually close. Yeah. And their spread the right now is better, gonna be better than a debt fund for sure. Yeah. All right. Next question: What percentage of the deal purchase price do you usually borrow or pay from your pocket? So usually we'll borrow sixty to seventy percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah of yeah, the purchase okay. price. And then on the equity, you know, again, every operator is different. We're typically putting up five to ten percent of the equity stack. That's true. So. That's true. So I guess yeah, five to ten percent of the deal, right? Really is what it is, right? Because you're borrowing five to ten percent of the equity. Yeah, you know, the equity, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, right? You know, debt is cheaper than equity right now still, but you know, it's still not bad, folks. So check it out. You know, uh, but we'll be talking next week how investor syndicators profit from real estate syndications. And one show that I like to do is some goal setting and goal planning for 2023 and what you need to be looking out for in this market too. So be on the, be on the lookout for those topics coming up. We'll see you next week, Money Mondays, 3 p.m., 3.30ish, excuse me, every Monday. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit disruptequity.com invest. Fill out your information there, and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.